Welcome to The Good Life. I am The Good Doctor, a.k.a. the Bill Belichick of podcasting. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at KnowTheGoodLife, K-N-O-W-T-H-E, Good Life. And I wanted to talk to you guys today about why the hell you should listen to an ostentatious asshole like me. You're probably figuring, who the fuck is this guy? What is he talking about? How can he tell me what to do? He's just an idiot behind a microphone and an Instagram account. So... I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was born in 1982, so I'm 36 years old. I'm currently in Houston, but I grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, only child, and both of my parents uh, worked every day when I grew up. So the memories I have from them are they, them getting up every single day, going to work, uh, me going off to school. Uh, my dad was a recruiting manager for an engineering company. My mom was a secretary. I had cavities. I had allergies. I played soccer, I played baseball, I played basketball. Uh, I lived in the suburbs. When I was 16, my dad got transferred to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I soon followed and went to school at Ohio State. Uh, I finished out college at Ohio State, took two years off, went on tour with a band, but really just sold merchandise. I came back to my house. My mom said, what are you going to do? Get a job. So my parents basically said, get out of the house. Uh, I met up with a buddy. We went to New York City. I had $150 in my pocket, and off we went. In New York City, this is probably 2005, uh, I I needed work, so I had a stack of resumes in my hand. I started walking down the streets of Soho, handing out resumes. I found a job folding T-shirts at Urban Outfitters for $8.75 an hour, and I was the happiest person in the world. Um, soon thereafter, I started sleeping with one of my managers and was promptly transferred to a different store, but it all worked out because we ended up getting married in 2008 and moving to Houston, Texas, where she is from. Now, keep in mind, this is all in the midst of the financial crisis. Everything's starting to shit the bed around me, at least in New York, but I didn't quite know what was going on. I had some peripheral knowledge of finance world, the macro world outside of New York, but not really. But it wasn't until 2009 when I had a job in Houston um, that I heard on NPR actually driving to work that, you know, the economy, the stock market's crashing. And there was this little voice in my head that's, you know, buy low, sell high. I didn't quite know what that meant. So anyway, so I dove into investing and uh, that's when I kind of started my whole uh, investigation into this other world that that exists outside of the the daily nine to five that nearly everyone uh, associates with. At that time, I found a website. I stumbled upon a website when I was Googling like investing or, or stocks or something, and it was Get Rich Slowly. I forget who the fuck he even started. His name is like JC or JT something. He, he, he ended up selling the website, but through, through that website, he had met, mentioned Mr. Money Mustache, and that just kind of kick-started my financial independence journey uh, right there once I, once I found that dude. But... Anyway, the point is I've been in human resources, now working for a Fortune 100 company uh, in Houston. I've been doing it for about 10 years. I'm 36. My house will be paid off in about three years. Um, And at that point, I'll reach my dividend crossover point, which means I can basically just leave the cubicle, uh, turn in my pink slip, and then focus on shit that really matters like books, uh, spring water, coffee, wisdom walks naps uh, cooking for my family all that shit so uh, that's my journey um, like I said I'm, I'm in Houston married no children not yet but um, working hard to to ditch this office life so I can hopefully be here 
for the kiddos whenever they come, um, whenever that is. But uh, that's my journey. And the reason I tell you that is because there's one thing that you guys have to understand that there's a 10-year window that you have to just say, fuck it. Once you commit and say, I'm not going to work this office job, I'm not going to work this you know, creative, I'm not going to work this retail job, just get in the mindset 10 years. You need a 10-year window, and you have to open a brokerage account. So go to Schwab, go to Vanguard, go to Fidelity, and you're going to want to open a brokerage account. This is after, this is presupposing, let's take three steps back. You've maxed out your 401ks at your employer. You've maxed out your IRA, either traditional or Roth. I'd recommend traditional, but if you can't do it because of your tax bracket, open a Roth IRA. Once you max out your 401k, now it's at 19000 a year. Once you max out your IRA, at least for Roth, it's 6000 a year. Then you open a brokerage account. Within that account, you can have more than one account. Say you have two or three, but let's just start with one. That's where you're going to dump all of your extra money. So whenever you cut back, you, you increase your, your income, you minimize your expenses, whatever's left over, dump everything into this brokerage account. If it's 20 a month, if it's 50 a month, if it's 3,000 a month, I know some people are doing 5,000 a month in their brokerage account, and you're going to buy stocks with this money, okay, equity stocks. They are the asset class that goes up over time, without a doubt. Look at a chart of the S&P 500 from fucking, what, 1919 all the way through today. Stocks are the asset class that goes up over time. Sure, there's going to be bumps along the road, but you want to invest in stocks. You want to invest in equities. Equities and stocks are synonymous. You want to invest in stocks that pay dividends. Why? That means you have excess earnings, and they have so much fucking cash, they don't know what to do with the money. So you want to buy stocks that pay dividends. You want to buy blue-chip, dividend-paying stocks with brand equity large moats, brand, brand over everything. So once you start to so once you open your brokerage account and you start pouring money into this account, you're gonna invest every single month, regardless of market conditions, for the next 10 years. Let me repeat, you're not trying to time the market, you're investing every single month for the next 10 years. When markets are up and markets are down, some people call it dollar cost averaging. But with investing, I've done it all. You have to be humble. I've invested in triple leverage ETFs. Uh, I've tried to short the market via triple leverage shit. I bought gold, um, triple leverage, gold miner funds, all sorts of shit. Stick, stick with equity, stick with blue chips, be a long-term buy and hold dividend blue chip investor. Anyway, buy stocks every single month. In my research, there's always 10 to 15 stocks every month that are on sale that are affordable. And I mean that I talk about price to earnings ratios. I look at forward PEs because they're not affected by short-term uh, write-offs or, um, you know, hits on the balance sheet or anything like that. So you look at forward PE under 12, ideally under 20 is fine. Look at dividend payout ratio, ideally under 60. That's how much of a company's earnings they're paying out for the dividend. You don't want it too high because there's not much room for growth. You want it 60 or below. You want to look at dividend yield, how much the, the stock is yielding. Uh, generally, I like the 1.85 as my minimal, minimum yield, uh, especially, especially for those stocks that really grow. But your higher yielding companies like your REITs and your telecoms and those stocks, those are going to be higher yield, low growth. So you want a mix of all of these in your portfolio. But anyway, buy stocks every month for the next 10 years. You want ideally 35 to 75 to 80 stocks. I've said this before on a previous podcast, but you want 35 to, let's just say, 50 stocks for now. You can add on as you 
as you get further along in your financial journey. The reason for this is diversification. Again, be humble. You'll hear Warren Buffett, he'd be humble. <laughs> this motherfucker saying be humble. When it comes to investing though, I've had to eat crow a million times. Be humble when it comes to investing. You're not smarter than the market. You're not smarter than these guys with hedge funds and insane technology that they have and research teams that they have. They're much smarter than you. The advantage you have is time, right? You're investing for the next 20 to 40 years. These hedge funds are investing for the quarter. So keep that in mind too. Anyway, you're not smarter than them. Be humble, be diversified. Even though Buffett and Charlie Munger say, uh, concentrate because, um, you know, a, a smart person would never need to diversify if they understood businesses to buy, if, if you only held five or 10 stocks, but fuck that. Hold 35 to 50 stocks, buy these consistently. Open the brokerage account. Let's move on. One of the things I've really been wrestling with and talking to my friends about is I can't versus I don't. Let me repeat that. I can't versus I don't. And that comes to, I guess that that relates to the stock market, to your food decisions, to uh, any kind of purchasing decision, any kind of behavior uh, in terms of, uh, let's just say eating with, let's say carbs or white rice. You either say I, I can't eat white rice now because I'm on a diet versus I don't eat white rice. So just stop it. It's, it's almost like that frugality muscle in your head when it comes to spending. You're like, I take one vacation a year. That's it. It's not that I can't take five vacations because, you know, uh, my, my wife is whatever, she's sick, or, or because I spend too much money on clothes, or I can't take vacations because my passport isn't um, renewed, but once I get it, I'll take 10. It's no, I, I take one vacation a year. That's it. Or I don't take 10 vacations. And it, it, it's this weird, um, not weird, but powerful way of thinking. So get that in your head. I can't versus I don't, especially with investing. It's not that I can't buy ETFs this month, or I can't buy gold stocks because gold's too expensive, or I, I can't buy futures or, or options because they're too risky now, but you know, maybe they'll be less risky in the future. No, it's, I don't buy or trade gold or commodities. I don't buy or trade bonds. I don't buy or trade ETFs. I don't buy or trade mutual funds with an asterisk outside of your 401k and your 401k just invest all in SP 500 and index funds outside of your 401k and your brokerage account. It's stocks all day long. That's it. Buy and hold long-term investor. I want to talk a little bit about food as well. I want to talk about bananas, K-cups, uh, Chinese tea. There's a trick with bananas. You know, they should be a staple of your diet and of your grocery grocery list and your grocery buying every week. Usually I buy two to three bunches. And, th and later on in the week, as the bananas get more ripe, I actually prefer them pretty ripe. And your body actually digests fruit when it's at its ripest form. However, if the bananas get way too ripe with the black dots and they just start to get overwhelmingly uh, pungent or fragrant, you could say, just simply take the skin off, break them up into five or six pieces, throw them in a plastic bag and freeze them for smoothies um, or any kind of banana type ice cream that you will make in the future. But let's be honest, who the fuck makes banana ice cream? So just use them in your smoothies as a base for smoothies with dates, almond butter, uh, cashews, coconut milk, cinnamon, maple syrup, uh, throw all that coconut or, um, c 
cacao powder, hemp seeds, throw all that shit in there. Anyway, the bananas will be the base for your smoothies. So think about that next time you're at the grocery store. Buy two or three times as many bananas as you normally buy. Organic preferably since they're about the same price as regular. On to Chinese tea. Hold on, I'm sipping in nitro. But on to the Chinese tea. It's funny, whenever you get into something new like wine, for example, everyone's like, let me go to the red wine because the red wines are the best, right? Well, no. Once you're into wine, you realize that. Uh, Blanc de Blanc Champagne, uh, Rosés, really um, oxidative whites, the exact opposite of big reds are what is actually the best. Sauternes, for example. Same is true for tea. Whenever you get into tea, you probably have, of course, black tea forever. Once you really get into Chinese tea and Chinese loose leaf tea, you mostly go for pu'er tea, ripe pu'er, which is like black or dark, almost like coffee-like tea, or like raw pu'er, which can be real strong and pungent, super bitter and shit. Once you're really into tea, you really go more towards the whites and the greens and the, again, lighter, more fragrant, more vibrant type teas that seem to me at least to nourish as opposed to just overpower. So as your journey leads to tea as you move from coffee into tea and as you get into Chinese loose leaf and you get really really nerdy um, I, I highly recommend Taiwanese teas Taiwanese oolongs Chinese whites Yunnan greens uh, things of that nature so just kind of food for thought and the last thing I want to talk about speaking of beverages is, is, is what I call a k-cup hack as far as I know well, I, I surely didn't invent this. I think I actually fucking read this on uh, I read this online, but quite interesting nonetheless. So, say you find yourself, God forbid, having to use a K cup as a last line of defense for your coffee addiction. I, I'm gasping right now, but if you really have to do that, here's what you do: grab two cups. Grab your cup. You're actually going to drink the coffee with, and grab some like disposable plastic or paper cup pop your k-cup pot in press the lever down you're going to do the smallest size available i think it's four ounces put in your the cup you're going to drink from put that under hit the four and hit start as it starts all you want is the first maybe ounce to ounce and a half of that more concentrated quote-unquote coffee that comes out which is the which is the actual decent stuff so as you get probably two ounces, you're going to yank your cup out, not to spill, put in that paper or plastic cup so it catches all the remaining shit. It's mostly water and a little bit of coffee, and wait till it finishes. Whenever it finishes brewing, look at the differences in color, keep yours, and throw that other bullshit in the paper or plastic cup in the trash. So you just have this little concentrated two-ounce, almost espresso-type shot of K-cup. It seems to work, you know, as a last resort. So if you are in that situation, that's what I'd recommend doing. I've also been thinking a lot about masculine salads because it seems like when people hear about salads, first of all, you should be eating more salads, mostly for dinners, mostly protein-packed salads because it's the uh, protein myth really isn't a myth. You should get 50 to 90 grams of protein a day. But anyway, the key is not... It's to get the mental block out of your head when you hear, you know, salads. When, when I hear salads, I think about ladies who lunch. I think about a few pieces of lettuce with 
some kind of bullshit dressing or maybe a few shakes of some kind of olive oil, maybe some kind of vinegar and a cherry tomato and maybe a half a cucumber and that's it. But the good news is, especially for the dudes, you are allowed to eat salads and you can eat big, huge fucking salads with lots of protein, with leftover roast chicken from your Sunday night roast chicken dinners. You can put in uh, chickpeas, pumpkin seeds, um, any kind of uh, sardines, uh, any leftover roast, red meats, uh, lamb. there's a million different options. So whenever you build a salad, let's just say you mix greens. Let's say you get arugula and baby spinach. You make a basic garlic vinaigrette with just lemon juice, salt, pepper, dissolve the salt and the lemon juice, pour in some extra virgin olive oil, high quality, just lightly uh, mix that in with a fork, pour it over your salad, toss thoroughly with your hands. It's all good. Uh, in your salad, you have, like I said, you have arugula, baby spinach, uh, raw pumpkin seeds, any kind of chicken, lighter dark meats, uh, fucking any kind of dried fruits. It's it's really whatever you want. Tons of vegetables, sliced raw mushrooms, uh, radishes, grated carrot. Uh, the list goes on and on. So don't be afraid of giant salads, masculine salads. Uh, they're really good. They're best for digestion at night, uh, especially when you want to eat a little bit lighter after you have a big giant meal for for lunch so dudes eat salads last thing i want to talk about is the importance of quality towels in your bathroom and a little hack for showing your boss you're imperfect at work recently i bought four new white towels from costco they're like six dollars for the hand towels i don't even know what the bath towels cost my wife bought them but they're fluffy and they're white and they make a big fucking difference especially when they're fresh out of the the dryer is there any better feeling than getting the towels or the bed sheets out of the dryer and just wrapping yourself in them and sitting there i mean it's better than sex better than nitro it's better than fucking anything so buy some white thick plush bath towels from costco or anywhere but just don't spend too much money and these are going to last and they make a huge difference quality of life here people the last thing I want to talk about and get into a little bit more is office and workplace hacking because as you work your 10-year career, you're going to have to navigate like a chameleon through the workforce. You're going to have to pretend to be productive and be productive um, at times. But keep in mind, perception is everything. If your boss sees that you're attentive, studious, quote-unquote, taking notes at meetings, making good eye contact, making jokes, asking about his or her family, kids, et cetera, et cetera, you should be fine for your 10 years. But here's a cool little thing that shows your boss that you're not too perfect and you're not an outsider. You want to fit in or give the appearance that you are a team player. You're in it for a long time. You're going to retire when you're 68 and fat and have diabetes and can't walk anymore. That's the impression that you want to give. But we all know your extra strategy is in 10 years or less. So how do you show your boss that you're not like some perfect um, elitist dickhead that might pose a threat to the team? Well, One of the things you can do is misspell things occasionally. Like if you're uh, DMing via a messaging service on the computer with your boss or even an email, just throw a few little misspellings in there um, or some spacing or punctuation errors. Just show them that you're a tad bit imperfect and that you're quote-unquote human. 
I found that to be pretty effective. So one of many things you can do in the office. I'll be, I'll be back on the next pod with lots more office tips, office hacks, ways to navigate the workforce to get you through it so you can ideally uh, quit that shit as soon as possible.